Hi, my name is Mark Broker, author of Lessons from the Navy. You're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringel. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished experts who want to share their knowledge and experiences in order to help you be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating toward more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Mark Broker. Captain Mark Broker, the United States Navy retired officer, has more than 25 years of leadership experience, 15 of which were in C-suite level positions. He's served as a thought leader, keynote speaker, professor, coach, consultant, facilitator, and pharmacist during his career. He served as commanding officer at one of the largest naval hospitals worldwide and as chief of staff for Navy Medicine West. Responsible for 10 hospitals spanning the West Coast of the United States, to the Indian Ocean, and healthcare for 800,000 patients or so. (laughs) After transitioning from the military, Captain Broker founded Broker Leadership Solutions, a company dedicated to helping leaders succeed on their leadership journeys. He has presented to thousands of professionals in 21 countries as clients include Fortune 500 companies. Mark lives in San Diego, California, is here to talk about his book, Lessons from the Navy, How to Earn Trust, lead teams, and achieve organizational excellence. Welcome, Mark. Hi, thanks, Bill. Thanks so much for the interview. I really appreciate it. Really excited, man. I'm excited to have you here. Tell me, when you were growing up, prior to enlistment, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? Yeah, that's so, you know, there's a couple of folks. Of course, my father, who has spent, he only spent three years in the Navy, but he had stories of about 30 years in the Navy. He, he did three years in the Navy, he did 30 years at this General Electric plant, in Pittsfield, Mass. But if you ever sat down and had a coffee with him, you'd swear it was Flip because he's got a gazillion stories of fascinating people in the Navy. And so I guess as a little boy, you know, listening to his stories about, you know, just serving your country, that, that inspired me to to join. And obviously he's got a lot of leadership skills that I picked up. And another person was my my little league coach, Bill Marlowe. We won every year the, the little championship. And this guy was the kindest man you ever met in your life. He never yelled at anybody. He's just he just had the respect of everyone, and I, I no doubt picked up some tips from him. Great guy. What do you think it was about Bill Marlowe that made such an impression? Was what was it, how was he able to wrangle, <laughs> you know, young preteen boys to run the bases, throw to the right places in the midst of action under pressure, and do it without yelling um, at them or to them? Yeah, you know, that's, that is a mystery, isn't it? With a bunch of 10, 11 year old kids with all the testosterone starting to grow. <laughs> but he, you know, I think looking back, uh, I, I didn't put it in my book. I probably should have, but since I, since it was published, I thought about him, but he listened a great deal. He, he gave us some time to explain our thoughts and usually he'd go the other direction, but you know, he listened to us and he gave us some, some time to, to talk about things, even as an 11 year old. And he just treated us really well. He, he, he respected us, I guess. And, and that's, that's one of the things I learned about leadership is the thing that people really strive for is just please respect me as a, as a human being, frankly. So, and Bill taught me that. It's funny that you call him Bill because I think of my coaches in Little League or wrestling in, in junior high, and they're always, you know, Coach, yeah. <laughs> Coach Miller. And, and I don't even think of their first names at, at this point in my life. 
Yeah. Well, you know, truthfully, he we, ended up he ended up marrying one of my best friends' moms, who passed his 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 husband or his dad passed away, and from then he's trying to transition. To, he just said, "Please call me Bill." But it was Coach Marlowe up until about uh, maybe ten years ago or so. <laughs> That's funny. So that relationship helped broaden it. So you had an adult to an adult relationship with him beyond the infield. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Very good. So. Another thing I think that's interesting is he didn't try to buy your your support or your loyalty as a player. He, You didn't say that it was because he would always buy us pizza. It was because he listened to you and treated you with respect as an 11-year-old, which in an 11-year-old's life is probably pretty rare, don't you, wouldn't you say? Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, here's the, here's the truth, Bill, is it's it's rare as a, as a young man – it's it's equally rare sometimes in the corporate world as I'm finding out. And, you know, it's, it's, it's doesn't matter what age you are and it doesn't matter what culture you're, you're talking about. I've given talks like you referenced uh, literally around the world. And, and there was a fascinating study. Just to tell you real quick, a study that was uh, done by Harvard Business Review is reported in there, surveyed 20,000 people from around the world, uh, different industries. It didn't matter what industry. And they asked a simple question. What, what, you get, what gets you excited to come to work and what behavior of a leader is, is most important? And there were things like promotions, money, recognition. And one of them, one of the answers was respect. And while the surveyors didn't expect this, but respect blew the others away. So even as, as, as Coach Marlowe treated us with respect, same thing as if you're running a bank in Singapore, people just want to be treated with respect. And once we get our head around that, man, that is a competitive advantage for any any leader. And it doesn't cost anything, but it does require a very different set of behavioral skills to show respect to others. And respect is really, really important. What would you say are two or three things that people ought to remember that others are looking for in order to feel respected? What are the behaviors to share and give respect to others? Yeah, you know, you said that you just before I even answer that question, you said it really well, Bill. There, it doesn't cost anything. It doesn't cost money. It doesn't. Well, I should say this: it doesn't cost monetarily, but it costs time. And in, in I, the most important thing is listen. You just listen to your people. And what does that take? It takes discipline, of course, and it takes time. And I remember there's a story about Amazon Prime. I don't know how many people know how Amazon Prime came along. But what happened is some some person who's in the, the mailroom had this idea, said, hey, let's charge people an extra couple of bucks and we'll give them some, you know, mail, we'll mail things faster. And that idea went up to Bezos and, and the rest is history. And, but my thought is, this is not the first good idea this guy had. He probably had about 10, probably kind of silly ideas. But I suspect there, his, the leaders of, of this young man didn't crush his spirit. They didn't say, that's a dumb idea. Let's just go back to, to work. They, they created a culture where his ideas were, were flourished and, and, and he was respected. So I think of, and they listened to him, going back to the original thought, is to me, the most important thing leaders can do is, is, is listen more to their people, have the discipline and the time, just listen. They may not have the right idea, but that next idea might be the winner, just like Amazon Prime. So that's a, a revolutionary example, a business example of how this works. And I don't want to miss the rich opportunity that I'm sure – I know I'm looking forward to hearing your explanation of what your view of leadership is based on all of your life experience. I mean, you've had such a great ability to compare and contrast it both in the military and in private sector. 
So what is it in your view that leadership is and what makes for a good leader? Yeah. You know, uh, you know, I've been studying this for, oh my goodness, 30 years, both formally and informally. But most of what I've learned is just watching, observing. I did a lot of writing, which is a lot of stories in the book that I, that I thought about for many years. At the end of the day, Bill, it's so simple. Um, the concept is simple. The execution piece is not. It's, it's, you, you must take care of your people. And what inspired me to write the book was there's not a lot of literature out there to say, okay, you got to be an engaged leader. You got to care for your people. And everyone, you know, you, you have a concept of that. But there was no book that I could find that really explained, okay, what does, what behaviors should I employ to show that I care for my employees? And what should I avoid? Mark, when you were coming up through the ranks, what's the one of the first memories you have in your service of a, a leader that actually cared for you? Because I'm imagining that a lot of the, the movies and the stereotypes about the military, there are parts that are true and parts that are exaggeration about how they have to grind you down in order to yeah. build you back up again. Yeah, um, And caring for um, your people seems to be an unusual lesson that you observed and took away based upon experience because you've seen that it works. Yeah. So what was one of your first memories of a leader that you had a relationship with that you served and you saw that this was an effective way of leading? Yeah. You know, I was brand new to the Navy. I, I was I did boot, boot camp in Newport, Rhode Island. It was only six weeks, but it wasn't, wasn't what you'd imagine. It was, it was boot camp light, frankly, but, but I got my first orders to go to San Diego, California, all excited. My wife and I drive cross country and I report to Naval Center, Naval Medical Center, San Diego, 1983. That's a, that's a few years ago. But I, I joined I joined the, the command softball team, and they always played around four o'clock in the afternoon. And the pharmacy that I worked in was very busy. It was basically the busiest department by far, and anyone would would, would validate this in, in the entire hospital. We just had you know thousands of people coming to get their medications filled, and it was always we're always like a two hour wait to get the medications. It was a zoo. And one day at four o'clock. I was working really hard. I was supposed to leave at five o'clock. I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to make the game and, and commander. I'll, I'll just call him Jim. His last name, I'll keep away. Just, I'm going to protect everyone's is, is their, their anonymity here. But anyway, Jim came up to me and said, Hey, don't you have a, a softball game today? I said, yeah, it's, it starts in about 15 minutes because we got to go. And I'm telling you this place, we were screaming busy. And I said, Jim, I, I can't, I can't leave. He goes, Mark, go, go. And, and I did. And I'll never forget that. And and I worked really hard for him, really hard for him because I, you know, he, he, he gave me some time off to, to go do something that I thought was important. He thought was important. And he, it showed that he cared. It was one, one, one thing you, sh you showed you cared. He, he knew this was important to me. Let me go do it. And, and uh, he, he filled in for me. It was a, it was a great showing of service, serv servant leadership. Well, I want to underscore that because it's not just saying, I care about you now back to work. He showed he cared by making a decision that supported something that he, first of all, understood you cared about, which was a softball, and then said, you're, you've put in your time at the end of the shift, so make sure you go and make your appointment. And that is a really telling example. Yeah. And it just, just to close the story real quick, the next day I went, I remember going home and telling my wife, because I worked at three years at a, at a civilian drugstore in Washington, D.C. And it was, it wasn't that type of leadership. You just worked long hours and sometimes overtime. And, 
anyway, I went home that night and I wasn't sure if I wanted to stay in the Navy. And I remember telling, I said, man, this Navy thing is, is, is awesome. And, you know, I told her the whole story. The next day I went in and Jim asked me, he says, Mark, how'd you guys make out? He asked me how we did. It, it, it was just a, an ex- amazing experience. So I guess the, if I could just continue just for a second, what that lesson told me, Bill, was, you know, we want to keep our good people. We want to, obviously, it's competitive out there. The COVID thing's going to be over. We're going to go right back to a screaming economy again, and we're going to be competing over the best of the best. The way you keep the best of the best is you should take care of your people, like like Jim did. And I was in, I ended up doing 30 years. I didn't plan on doing 30 years. My plan was to do three and out. But this experience with, with great leaders like Jim convinced me to stay in. I think that's a lesson that every business leader listening to will take away is that it makes the difference in your relationship with the people you lead to build that relationship, to understand what their interests and wants and needs are, and to support them in alignment with accomplishing the business objectives. He wasn't saying, you know, just knock off early. He was saying, make sure you leave on time to make this personal appointment that was important to you. And his knowledge of you and the follow-up really emphasize that. So I hope that's a lesson that people listening really take home. Now, you mentioned in the book, Mark, that the foundation of leadership is trust and competence and honesty and caring. And those are the main ingredients. What is it that makes it so hard in your observation and working with leaders now as a speaker and as a workshop leader that makes it hard for people to understand that it's it's okay to do that. And then to focus time on actually building these skills, because it's not lip service. That just really backfires if you just give lip service. It has to be deeply embedded into the culture of a company, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's got, you, you said it best, it's got to be deeply embedded. And how it gets embedded is by the behaviors of the leader. And the question is, it was intrigued me as I'm as I'm reading and studying and learning and basically experiencing this. You know, just the, what I when I what I learned about the caring piece. I'll answer. Well, let me answer the question: Why it seems to be a, an elusive concept, this caring. And I'll go back to and at some point. We'll talk about where I came up with this. But more importantly, why I think it's elusive, Bill, is I think people are just you know just you 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 must chase the bottom line. You must chase some metric. And we get so focused on the metric, whatever that metric is, quarterly profits, sales, you know, call it what you will, patient satisfaction if you're a hospital. So whatever the metric is, what, what happens is we end up chasing that metric. We forget the means by how, by, by the means of how we find that metric, how we get to that metric. There's a great book called Patients Are Second. In, in healthcare, it's always patients are number one, patients are number one, and of course, patients are number one. You go into any hospital, you want to take care of the patients. But this book is written in, in saying, well, the truth is it, it, the it's leaders, you must take care of your people. When you take care of your staff, I'm talking about, they'll take care of the patients. So I, I think we get so caught up sometimes with the, with chasing a metric, we forget that the way to, to, to achieve that metric is by taking care of the people who are re- actually achieving that metric, if, if that makes sense. We just get caught up with chasing numbers and, 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 and goals and, and whatnot, and we forget that the way we get there is by taking care of our people. Yes. And to me, it goes back to the metaphor that I learned from Stephen Covey, where he talks about the difference between production, which are the eggs, and the production capability or production capacity, which is the goose. And you have to take care of the goose to produce the eggs. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Covey is one of my favorites. And yeah, you, you nailed it. Beautiful. So something else that's very interesting to me 
is when you talk about in, in your book, Lessons from the Navy, you talk about why having a, a trusting relationship is so crucial. What are two or three things that you've observed in an example of where there wasn't much trust and someone was able to focus in on one or two activities or behaviors that led to building trust? Yeah, you know, the, you know, you can, I'll just share before I answer that, I'll just share with you that you learn a lot by working for folks who don't have a culture of trust. And, you know, the antithesis of culture of trust is culture of fear. And what I say in the book, and there's so many examples that, you know, cultures of fear breed uh, bad decisions. There's a thing on Netflix uh, about the challenger, the last play of the challenger, they talk about, you know, that, that, that disaster was from a bad decision from built on a culture of fear. And for my own personal experience, a culture of fear, one duty station, I had an immense culture of fear. We're getting ready for a huge inspection. And I had the person going out inspecting different parts of the hospital and came and knocking on my door. And this is like six, six o'clock on a Thursday night and said, Hey, sir, we did the inspection of the blood bank. Everything was good. And it sounded like a routine inspection until he told me that, sir, I went in the freezer and in the freezer, I found a, a leg. And, and I looked up, I said, what do you mean a leg? He goes, yes, sir, a, a leg, human leg, frozen solid. And and we went through that process and and uh, I got I got nervous. part of your normal inventory? No, not, no, no. The first thing I thought of literally was, okay, I've been through all this training in the Navy. I, I, I guess I missed the class of what you do when you find a, a human leg. But the point is what happened is the, the person who was reporting to me kind of winked at me, said, sir, uh, we can get rid of it tonight. And the reason he said that, Bill, the reason he said that is there was a culture of fear at that at that command, that hospital. And it was driven by the the behaviors of the leader. Anytime I went into the leader, I was the second in charge of this hospital. There any kind of bad news, I would get basically yelled at and screamed at. It was this person had a, 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 an anger issue. So the point was we wanted to avoid telling the boss this this story. And so he told me, he goes, Mark, we can get or sir, we can get rid of it tonight. We can, you know, bottom line is we have this uh, Spanish incineration team out in town. I'm calling up all the time to, to come on the base to, to get boxes. And, and they take the boxes off the base to burn the boxes. Tonight, I'll call them up. I'll get some boxes together and we'll, we'll, we'll slip the uh, leg in one of the boxes is, uh, is they're driving up and burn the leg. So the point is we considered doing something really stupid. Um, and I did consider it. I didn't, cause I didn't want to tell the boss the next morning. Well, we, we didn't do that. We told the boss and there was this massive anger. In the, in, in obviously, we, we, we were very transparent with the inspectors that came in that year. But the point of the story is cultures of fear breed really bad decisions. And bad decisions, bad news is going to come to any leader. And, and I, in my book, I talk about how every interaction impacts trust. Every interaction with you and your staff impacts trust. When bad news comes, not if, but when bad news comes, that's an opportunity to build trust or build fear. And because of this culture of fear, because of this leader's behaviors of, of yelling all the time, bad news came, there's a, there's a great deal of fear in that command. And, and we underperformed. And, and, and frankly, I courted some pretty stupid ideas, which, which, which I never should have been courting. So what happened with the leg, just to complete the story? <laughs> well, it was, we found out that it was a, a motorcycle accident. And uh, the, we called the person up and we said, we'd like to discard the, 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 the leg. And they kind of laughed. They said, we thought we'd, we'd discard it many years ago. So anyway, uh, we ended up burning the leg, but the, with the patient's permission and, and we passed the inspection the whole nine yards. 
So it was good that you found the rest of the person. You were able to, <laughs> to, to connect the dots, so to say, so to speak. And, you know, you did it under pressure with the fear um, of, of the yelling and of p- making people upset. What else happens when there's a culture of fear? And anytime that the boss hears something, their predictable reaction is just to yell their head off at the people who are bringing him the news that something is out of place and is important and needs attention. Yeah, just just think about this. I mean, just that we've all been there. Everyone who's listening to this knows what it's like to work for someone. I suspect maybe someone has not worked for someone who has a, a bit of an anger issue. What's a natural, it's like touching a hot stove. You're just not going to touch the hot stove anymore. So what will what happens, and I saw this with the, the hospitals that, uh, I, I, you know, that fell under my uh, purview, my last tour, those hospitals that had cultures of fear were underperformed because frankly, the leaders didn't know what was going on because they were not told what was going on because of their behavior. So the, the sequence is this, interaction occurs, <clears throat> maybe the bad news happens. And if you have a culture of fear whereby the leader gets angry, frankly, when, when bad news comes, the, the person's going to do everything they can to avoid telling them. And when you can't, when you don't know the facts, when you don't know what the what the situation is, you're going to make less than stellar decisions. And that's the, that's a sequence of events. The interaction happens. If you get angry with the bad news going forward, you're going to get less information and you're going to have less input for decision making and you'll make bad decisions and your your company will underperform and sometimes grossly underperform. And sometimes make decisions that aren't trivial, but actually put you in jeopardy because you're afraid to convey that information. Where there is where there are secrets, I always say there's trouble. Yeah. When you can't have an open free flow of information in an organization, wherever those secrets are stored, that's a potential um, bomb that could blow up for the company. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, just to just to contrast that culture I had with the the leg story, <clears throat> my last uh, duty station Navy was the Navy Medicine West. You, you mentioned it. And we had these 10 hospitals spread across the Pacific. And I was a chief operating officer. My boss was a was an admiral. And he told me right off the bat, because I've never been at this level of leadership. This is the highest I, I was in the Navy. He told me, he goes, Mark, bad news doesn't come with, doesn't get better with age. You tell me as soon as you find out about the bad news. And I, you know, I'm thinking, okay, this is, we'll see how this goes. Well, I, when, you know, if you're in the Pacific, the, the time I got these calls was always three, four, five o'clock in the morning, which is, you know, five o'clock in the afternoon in, in Japan. So all these calls and stuff came in in the middle of the night. And I remember the first time I called them and I braced myself thinking, man, I'm waking, I'm waking the boss up at 2.30. And, and I told him the story. It was something like the leg story. It wasn't as silly as that, but he laughed. He says, are you kidding me? Man, that's an amazing story. It wasn't anything deadly. It was just kind of a silly thing. But he said, he told me this. He, he said, quote, unquote, he said, Mark, figure it out. Let me know uh, what you find out. And, uh, and the point is, he trusted me to take care of it. He didn't get angry. And after that, I couldn't wait to tell him these stories because it was kind of a morale-enhancing experience to, <laughs> to kind of have him, you know, just tell me, figure it out, Mark. It, just a complete different opposite reaction than, than it was at the other command. And frankly, it just, just you know, the point is, did we perform well at Navy Medicine West? We outperformed all other regions by a a a massive amount, frankly. They were coming out to our region to try to figure out why our metrics were so strong. And it really boils back to my boss, who just was this 
he trusted us. He was gregarious. He got to know us. He, we saw him a lot. All the things I talk about in my book, Op- Optimistic. And we were uh, really, really a high-performing team. See, it's not just these things are innate. People can cultivate these behaviors and attitudes in order to elicit the stories and hear things and then support their people in order to solve the problems. Oftentimes, a a boss or a manager needs to hear this so that they could say, here's the scope of what you're given in order to solve the problem. All right, solve the problem, but only spend up to $50,000 solving it and then come back to me or solve the problem. If you can't get this under control, according to these metrics within two days, come back to me. That's what the check-in is for. It's to keep them informed, keep them in the loop and to consult where it's necessary. Do you remember an example of when you talked to the Admiral where he came back to you and said, well, here are the resources that you should deploy in order to solve this problem. Yeah, no, there were so many different examples, but at one point we were, we're in a great deal of scrutiny. What's happening, folks are come back from the, the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. This is when they were still, we had 150,000 troops uh, in those theaters. Roughly what year? This is uh, 2000 to 2000, uh, let's see, 2011 to 2013. And a lot of folks are coming back from those wars and we needed to get them in the pipeline of the Veterans Administration for their disability claims and whatnot. Because these folks were mentally and physically scarred and we needed to get them into the VA system. And frankly, everyone was overwhelmed because never in the, frankly, history of our country, except for World War II, did we have such a bolus of folks coming out of off the battlefields into, into the Veterans Administration. And it was no one's fault. It was not the VA's nor ours. It just, you know, a lot of people and we just had to get resources to fix it. And we were under a great deal of pressure to, to get these young men and women into the VA system, which was the case. And, and he basically said, Mark, you, here's, the, here's the parameters. You know, basically, it was we had a pot of money. And he said, just you know, let me know if you need more, but certainly do what you got to do. Personnel-wise, move the staff around as much as you need to. He gave me pretty, pretty big parameters or wide parameters to fix this thing. And I knew he made it very clear this is a priority for me. And it just he it just was a very inspiring leader who just had that gift of knowing when to uh, ask questions and when to just let us do our thing. And you know, there's a fine line between micromanaging and, and mentoring. And I think the difference is is respect. Again, he treated me with a great deal of respect. I never felt micromanaged, but he did check in on me appropriately. And, 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 and it was just a, it was a great leader to to learn from. And I, I talk about him a, a fair amount in the book. Mark, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best lightning round? Oh, absolutely. Let's do it. All right. So when I started, I asked you about a person who influenced or inspired you growing up. When you were a teenager, what's a song that you loved? Oh, geez. I loved, you know, My Love by uh, Paul McCartney. Loved it. How did that go? Uh, My Love. I think it's My Love. My love does it good. I think it was Paul McCartney. Don't ask me to sing. (laughs) Great song, though. So do you have a a tool or system that helps you stay on track and be productive week after week? Yeah, I have. I still write things down. I don't have anything automated, but uh, I'm starting to go to automation. But uh, I still write things down and prioritize them the old-fashioned way. And it keeps me track. And I have a a day calendar that's... each week, I just look at it, and, and I, I have to write things down and check them off. What's the best leadership advice or distinction that you ever received? 
You know, the great leaders always told me, including my last one, is is listen to your people. And if I could just, you know, I just I gave a talk a couple of couple three years ago now. At the end of the talk, someone came up to me and said, "I'm going off to do a, a Boy Scout offsite with a bunch of young young men. Which one thing you, I should tell them to do is leaders." I said, "Just listen to your people more, and that will give you all kinds of build all kinds of trust." And I really listen. That's the point. You're not looking at your cell phone. You're the person's talking, you listen with your heart and, and you will gain uh, enormous trust. What would you say is the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped in the last year during this pandemic that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? <laughs> yeah, I don't watch that a lot of TV. I used to watch a lot of sports. Sports went away and I got out of the habit of watching a lot of sports. I do. I still watch a little bit, but not nearly as much as I, I have. I'm I'm working harder now, honestly, God, Bill, than I did when I ran those 10 hospitals from the West Coast to the Indian Ocean. I'm working really hard, but I love what I do. And that does help keep you on track, doesn't it? The passion and the sense of purpose. Absolutely. You know, purpose, there was a study done, Dr. Zach, Z-A-K, and he wanted to learn about, you know, what's the secret to a high-performing team? And I worked with the, the Navy SEALs. I was, I'm not a Navy SEAL, obviously, but I worked with a a nonprofit called the, the Honor Foundation. I'm intrigued with Navy SEAL teams because they are probably the highest performing teams that I can think of. And this Dr. Zach did, a, did studies on high performing teams. And he said there's two ingredients to a high performing team. One is trust, as we talked about in the book, but the other is purpose. And, and you mentioned that. It kind of triggered my thoughts. And when you have when you have a workforce that understands that what they're working for is purposeful, has meaning, and you have a, a workforce that trusts you as a leader, you're going to have a high performing team every time. Mark, that's a really interesting question. Can we elaborate on that maybe with one of the talks that you've given or workshops where you've worked with a client that didn't realize that they were missing a common purpose and you're able to help them maybe through a series of questions or exercises, find that purpose, articulate it, get behind it. And there was a, a change that took place. Yeah. You know, that's a, that's, I, I, you know, I would, I would say this, that I give a talk at, uh, in Newport, Rhode Island to, to basic training for officers who are coming into the Navy. And it's fascinating because I get there about four weeks into their training and they're a little disoriented, maybe not as happy as, as being in the Navy because it is kind of a disorienting experience. And I suspect four weeks ago they came in because it's, they want to do something, you know, bigger than themselves. They want to be part of something bigger than themselves. So in those talks, I always talk about the, the, the two pieces of a high performing team, purpose and, and trust. And I, I thank them, earnestly thank them for volunteering to join our country. And we talk about the, the legacy and the history of the Navy and, and just, just kind of reignite that passion of, I, yeah, I, that's right. Four weeks ago, I joined this outfit because uh, it is a higher purpose. So I, I think I just see the, I can see the lights going on when I give that talk, although I can't measure it truthfully. But I know after they come up to me after the talk, I can feel that they're, you know, that patriotism is rekindled and they're really excited to be in the Navy. So, but I do this with other groups. I've done it with, you know, literally plastics manufacturers and, and whatnot. Yeah, I remember, yeah, I remember John who ran a, a small business, about maybe 90 employees of plastics manufacturing in, in Michigan. And, and he, he was struggling with his his team and, and we talked about it. This is after the talk. We kind of talked one-on-one. Actually, that little cocktail thing they had after the after the conference, and and I, you know we threw a series of questions over the course of the conversation. You know, he kind of came up with it himself that you know I'm 
obviously someone's got to produce these plastics. And what they were doing, it was plastics for for Toyota cars, you know, the the, the inside of a, of a car. And, you know, you might say, what's, what's the purpose there? I, well, there are a couple of things. One, you, we got to have cars. Someone's got to do it. But more importantly, he, he was providing, he was a great leader. He was a really good guy. I could just tell he cared for his people. And I said, you're, you're employing these people. You're giving them a good job with a 401k and healthcare and steady work. And, and that's, you know, if nothing else, that's your purpose. You're, you're providing these folks a, a, a means to, 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 you know, create wealth. And that really inspired him. And, and obviously what they're doing is important. We got to have cars and we got to have folks who build this stuff. And that was really, for me, it was inspiring too, because we, we both came to that conclusion kind of serpentitiously together. And it was kind of cool. That makes such a difference. And Mark, you've been so generous with sharing your insights and experiences and lessons learned in this interview. On my quest for the best, you've shared about Bill Marlowe, who was your little league coach, and how he got these 11, 12-year-olds who were your, your friends and teammates to do really well as a little league team without yelling. He listened to you, and it made such a big difference. We talked about what are the specific behaviors that you'd notice in when you're respecting people who you work with. We talked about how important it is to take care of the people that um, are under your under your leadership and under your management at whatever level. You've talked about the different examples in hospitals that you've overseen and the importance of trust, even when you find a, a frozen leg in the freezer prior to an inspection. How that's unexpected and how you deal with it makes all the difference, whether the person who you're reporting to is eager to hear the details of the unexpected or they simply yell and shut it down and the what happens as a result. The implications of not having all the information of what's going on in your organization can be really debilitating. Mark, for these reasons and so many more, I want to thank you for being on my quest for the best. Well, Bill, I thank you for the opportunity. Mark, before we say goodbye for now, tell me, where can we find out more about you and your work online? Yeah, I have a website, BrokerLeadershipSolutions.com. Well, we're going to link to that in the show notes, as well as a link to your book and all of your social media so that people listening can find it so easy to follow you and continue to learn from you. Mark Broker, author of Lessons from the Navy, How to Earn Trust, Lead Teams, and Achieve Organizational Excellence. I want to thank you once again for joining me on My Quest for the Best. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on My Quest for the Best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback, and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on my quest for the best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.